It's a book called Galatians, because it was written to a bunch of people who lived in Galatia by the Apostle Paul, who wrote lots of the New Testament. And we're towards the end of the book, so some of this may be a little surprising, uh, but uh, we're trusting that Steve will explain the uh, difficult bits to us once I've finished reading. So we're on page 1171. It's chapter 5 over on the right-hand side, and I'm beginning to read from verse 1. Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, do, uh, if you've uh, got that Bible passage uh, handy, keep it open. And um, uh, also, you might find that if you turn to the back of the service sheets, uh, if you've got one of those, um, there's an outline. There's quite a lot in there. We're not going to try and cover all of it. Um, But let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, this uh, passage of the Bible that was written 2,000 years ago uh, would uh, make sense to us that what you were saying then to the people and what you say to people in every generation would really come across to us. Please speak it afresh into our lives, into our hearts, into our families, into our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my mum has a condition called celiac disease, uh, which means, as I'm sure many know, she's allergic to gluten. Uh, Nowadays, that's not such a big deal, because you go to pretty much any supermarket and they'll have a free-from range. Uh, And for mum, free-from gluten also means free to live a normal life. Free from, free to. Those are the two sides of the coin that make up freedom, aren't they? Free from, as in free from debt, free from prison. Free to stay for lunch, to make choices, to go on holiday, or whatever else. And when, uh, if we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, it means both sides of the coin of freedom. Free from two things, the Old Testament law on the one hand and from sin on the other, and free to be fruitful in our lives. So that's what we're going to focus on. You'll see on the outline there, we're going to go through those, and I think that will uh, summarise what we've read in Galatians 5. Free from the law, first of all. If you look down, it talks about the law in verse 1 as a yoke of slavery. There's been lots in the letter about it, Um, this uh, letter written, uh, because people had come into this church, they were new Christians, and these people had come and said, listen, the answer to your life, the answer to you can stay on the right track, is here's the Old Testament law, now you keep it. And Paul, the apostle who told them about Jesus, is saying, no, don't go back to living your life by a list of laws. Not even God's laws for the Old Testament people of Israel. Don't go back to that. Don't, in the words of verse 4, fall away from grace. Now, there's a very interesting way Paul uses that phrase, fall away from grace, because it's not the same as the way we usually use it. The way we usually use it is someone's doing really well in life, and uh, then, then they, they hit some kind of, they hit kind of some personal moral failure. Uh, they, they get into some kind of sin, some kind of problem. And then it's front page of the Sunday papers, so-and-so and so-and-so, fallen from grace into whatever it is they want to tell us all about. 
But as Andrew introduced the hymn earlier, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What's grace for? Who's grace for? Grace is for failures, isn't it? Grace is for sinners. Grace isn't something we fall from, it's so much we fall into. Grace is what catches sinners like me and like all of us when we fall. What Paul means in verse 4 is something different. He means falling away from trusting in God's grace. Because we're trusting instead in trying to keep the rules and do the right thing and keep the law. You see, grace is like a cable car taking us to be with God, to be right with God. Um, so if you imagine there's, there's us and there's God and, and we want to get to him, grace is him coming through Jesus and saying, I've come, I've done everything, I'm saving you if you'll just get on board. That's grace. But some people say, well, I, I want to walk. I want to walk. I, I want to get myself right with you, God. I'd get more a sense of satisfaction if I did it myself. I could be in charge of my own destiny. I've always been brought up to do things for myself. So I'm not going to come to God for grace. I'm going to do it. And I don't know whether you're one of those people you're tempted to think that way. Do you see, though, that is opting out of the way God has said we can get to him? You, you can't have that do-it-yourself attitude and walk up the mountain and at the same time catch the cable car. It's an either-or. You can't be right with God through Jesus by his grace and do it yourself by keeping some kind of laws. And if you put your confidence in your own ability, your own morality, your own law-keeping... The reality is you will stop trusting God. You'll stop trusting Jesus. You will fall away from grace. And the reality too is that you won't make it. You won't make it to God. Because none of us ever keep our own standards, let alone his. But look, look down with you at verse 5. If you simply put your faith in Jesus, there is a future waiting which is so wonderful, it's to be right with God forever. If we put our faith in Jesus, we're in the cable car of grace, we're on the way, we don't have to earn it, we don't have to try and pay him back. As verse 6 puts it, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, verse 1, stand firm. If you've come to know Jesus, if this is making any sense... Or if, if it's not making sense, you think, I'm, I'm not sure I'm there yet. But as you look in from the outside, this is the Christian life. The Christian life is not, here's a bunch of rules, keep them. The Christian life is, we are free from the law. We are free from keeping laws to try and be right with God. That's the first freedom. The second freedom is even more potent and powerful. We are free from sin. You see, if we look back to, say, uh, on the facing page, chapter 3, verse um, 22, it talks about the whole world as a prisoner of sin. That's what the Bible declares. We're, we're under this, we're, we're locked up under sin, under death. But you see, Jesus comes from God. He pays through his own death for the penalty of sin. He pays the death that we all deserve to die. 
And what that means is whenever a man, a woman, a boy or girl puts their faith in Jesus, the prison door swings open and there's a pardon written by the King of Kings in his own blood that says, you're forgiven, you're free, you're free. And even more than that, it's a, it's a positive freedom. It's an invitation to come and be part of God's family forever. Free from gluten? Pretty handy if you're allergic to avoid an allergic reaction. Free from cancer? Well, that really would be very, very good news if you've had a diagnosis. Free from sin? Free from the punishment that sin deserves in God's world. There is no more wonderful news that you and I could hear. It really is the best news in the world. So, again, it may be you feel, oh gosh, yeah, I, I sort of understand that, but I'm looking in on it. I'm, I, I don't know whether I know that. Let me say again, it, it, it's all done by God all done by him, it's simply us coming to Jesus and saying I I want to receive it, I I, I want your death to be for me too that's how we enter in and when we enter in it leads to a very obvious next question what does it mean for the way I live my life Okay, hang on, I'm getting this Jesus comes, he dies, he pays for all my sin, not only in the past but in the present and in the future Okay. Well, does that mean I just go and do what I like? Just carry on sinning? And he picks up the tab? Is that that what it means? No consequences? I think it's because of that issue that this church, when these teachers came along to them and said, listen, keep the Old Testament law, including, did you notice, including circumcision? There was quite a kind of lot of that on that. How did they, they persuaded adult men to be circumcised. I'm looking at some of the blokes and you've got the same expression on your face but I'm thinking, oh my goodness me, how on earth did they do that? Well, it must have been that they convinced them that there was something about keeping the rules, keeping this set of rules, including circumcision, that was going to do something for them. It was going to keep them on the right track with God. They must have persuaded them that that they had to do it if they were going to be on the right track with God. And, and the wonderful news, therefore, is that, that we're free from that. That's the first point. Uh, I guess it's, they, were, they were persuading them. Uh, they, they, if we imagine that prison door, this prison door's been thrown open, they're out, and they were persuading people, listen, you know, you, you're not going to be able to cope being free. Now come back inside, come back inside. Here's your old jailer. And your old jailer will tell you what to do nowadays. That's, that's basically what they were trying to say. Which is why Paul says, if you look at verse 18, you're, um, uh, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So that's recapping. To go back to lo- law keeping is to lose your freedom. But equally, and this is the point of here, to go back to sinning is to misunderstand and abuse your, your freedom. You see, Christ frees us from sin. He frees us from the consequences of sin, the punishment. But he also frees us from that slavery to sin that we get into. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. 
And we'll have all experienced that. It starts as something that tempts us. We do it once and we do it again. And then we think, oh, it's not really good for me. I should stop. And we find we can't. Because actually sin, there's something about going the wrong way that actually, and and there'll be things that we know, they're on our conscience, things that we do over and over again, that person we're always angry with, we're never patient with that person. That situation where, oh no, I I just let myself down again, and again, and again. That sin enslaves. But Jesus frees us from the slavery of that cycle of again and again. But we do need to live it. So if you look down, it says in verse 16, we need to live by the Spirit. Or verse 25, let's keep in step with the Spirit. I like the message translation of verse 25. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Because it's not only prisoners who lack freedom, it's also addicts. Those who cannot change, who are slaves to their desires. But Jesus frees us from sin as addiction. We can now change with his enabling, with the work of the Spirit within us. We have to choose it though. So let's uh, look at this point. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Uh, Verse 16 talks about the desires of the sinful nature. And I've tried to put this on the sheet as two um, arrows. Um, This conflict between the desires of the sinful nature, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the spirit. The desires of the sinful nature... They're they're not so much desires for the wrong things as over-desires for the right things. That's the idea behind this Greek word here. Is that you and I will find something in life and instead of just saying, oh, it's great, isn't it? It's great to have this thing. We say, I must have this thing. I must have. Let me give you a couple of examples. Maybe comfort and security is something you think, yeah, it's really important having a comfortable home, having security... Um, and uh, that's a brilliant thing, isn't it? It's a good thing. But if we have an over-desire, we're living all the time, and we end up sort of with a sort of fortress mentality against other people, because, you know, I must have my own things, my own way, and, my, and we end up cutting ourselves off. Or how about um, the desire for, for enjoying good things, good food and good holidays and so on? Yeah, Fantastic. But if we have an over-desire for those things, then it becomes greed. Or it becomes an overworking and a kind of treadmill mentality that so much of London gets itself into. So that's the sinful nature. It drags us down. It has these over-desires for things that actually end up destroying us and destroying good things. And there's a conflict between the, the desires of sinful nature, which are like a lead weight... And the desires of the Holy Spirit, which is the life jacket which keeps us going and keeps us afloat. And genuine Christian experience, did you see it there uh, in what it describes here in um, verse 16 following? It uses the word, in verse 17, conflict. The, The Christian experience is this conflict between the two. And the only way to uh, end that 
Well, there is no way to end it and stay Christian and stay alive. It's perfectly normal to experience this. And if, if you've tried to live as a Christian or you are trying to live as a Christian, um, it, the reason it bothers you when you fail is because the Holy Spirit's at work sensitizing your conscience. There are loads of people in life who will they'll use bad language, they will uh, fiddle their expenses, they will uh, be dishonest in order to get on at work, and they won't bat an eyelid. They'll do that without the slightest qualm in their conscience. And that should be very disturbing for people who are in that mindset because there's no signs of spiritual life in that mindset. That's just the lead weight dragging you down. But if you're guilty of some of that, but your conscience says, oh, you shouldn't, you need to change. It's a very good sign. There's the conflict. There's the Holy Spirit's work of actually lifting us as well as the work of the sinful nature dragging us down. And look where the lead weight would try and pull us. Do you see that in verses 19 to 21? There's a list there. It's, you know, it's just depressing, isn't it? I'm sure none of us is guilty of all of that. I don't think I've ever been to a party that's quite like verses 9 to 21 all at the same time, although some people would make that an ambition, I think, to host a party like that. But that is the world around us, you see. That's not just, it's not just... It's, it's, it's when sex gets out of control, when people try and control the world around them with idolatry and witchcraft, when people are just obsessed with themselves and so they end up hating and jealous and angry and with a selfish ambition which actually ends up destroying. And as you read verses 19 to 21, this is the lead weight. Do you want to be like that? Do you want this to be true of your family? Don't you want to protect your family from these forces? in the world around and in ourselves. You see, this is why the freedom that Christ brings is so wonderful, so revolutionary. Is because he works in us to free us from slavery to that so we can start to change. But we do need to live it. And that's where we'll close. We'll, we'll close sorry. We're free from the law, free from sin, free to be fruitful. That's what God wants for us. And verse 22 and 23 describes it. He has a purpose. He has a plan. It's an original design for the whole human race, which is to express his values, his character, as we live our lives. And when someone's forgiven through Jesus, when they receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us back to that original design. He wants the real you, the best you, to be you every day. So that question we asked a minute ago, are we free therefore to do whatever we like? Yes. If we mean, are we free now to do the new desires that the Holy Spirit gives us? Yes. Are we free to become the people that God made us and meant us to be and that actually we want to be in our better moments? Yes, we are now as we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let, let me read the fruit again in verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Isn't that what you want to see in your family? Don't we want that for Alex as he grows up? We do, don't we? We do. 
Wouldn't it be great if, if people who knew you really well were able to say, you know, that list you just read out, that reminds me of you. Because one day, if you know Jesus, people will be able to say that of you. They'll be able to say, yeah, yeah, you're just like Jesus. Because one day, that's what God will do for all of his children when we meet him face to face. But today, the Holy Spirit is leading all of God's children to be more like that. He's leading us to be filled with this fruit in our lives, in our families. So the take home for all of us who know Jesus is to live it. Verse 16, verse 25, live by the Spirit. Verse 25 again, keep in step with the Spirit. I love that picture. It's, it's Amanda taking Alex for a walk in a little while when he's a bit more steady on his feet, and, or any parent. And um, I can remember this when I was little. And mum and dad saying, keep up, keep up. You know, you've got the hand in their hand. Keep up. And that's the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not with our hands, but within us. He's giving us good desires to be God's people. He's saying, come on, keep up. Keep in step. Be like Jesus in that situation, in the office, when you're exhausted. You won't feel like it. You haven't got the strength, but I'll help you. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And uh, a good way to experience it, as we, we do regularly, is just to pray, to say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need you. Please grow his fruit in my life. Because that's freedom. That is the freedom the addict craves. To actually change from the inside out. Freedom to start to do God's will. Freedom that legalism, that rules can never provide. Freedom is possible because God changes people by his spirit. So work with him. Follow those new desires. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.